All of God's people said, yes, Lord. Yes. Amen. Thank you, team. You know, one of the great joys to see a couple who've been married maybe 50, 60 or more years, and they are in love with each other more now than ever before. I've had the joy of knowing such couples and it's such a delight, particularly in these days when the definition of love is so confused, <laughs> it's so perverted, uh, where the definition of love is so twisted and, and, and selfishly used. In the last message, I introduced this new series of messages from the lecture letters of Jesus to the church. And according to the Word of God I shared with you in the last message, that the church, the believers, is the bride of Christ. And I said that there can be no doubt about the incredible, the consistent love of the groom to his bride. But when the bride's love cools off, after a few years of marriage, the relationship not only sours, but they live together like roommates instead of people who are madly in love with each other. If you are not here, by the way, please download it when you go home because it will help. It's the foundational message for the rest of this series. And I also said that in many a case, in many a church, in many a bride of Christ, the words of loving for Jesus have become words, just songs on the screen. They're no longer in love with Jesus. They go through the motion of marriage. They go through the motions of relationship. But the love for Christ has become so overwhelmed with other loves, other loves. Love for the world, love for self, love for things. As an aside, I was studying this letter to, of Jesus to the church in Ephesus, and I felt... Right at that moment when he was talking with heartbroken about their love or lack thereof for him, I said, right after this series, I'm going to do a short series on how to stay in love with Jesus. In fact, how to grow your love for Jesus every day instead of the other way around. And I'll do that right after this series. I just was so overwhelmed. I'm going to testify to you. to the glory of Jesus because of His overwhelming grace to me. And this is just my testimony, and I'm sure it's your testimony to many of you. I am more in love with Jesus today than in any time in all the 56 years that I've been walking with Him.
the first letter that our glorified Jesus, our glorified Lord sends, he sends to the church in the city of Ephesus. And we saw on the map, let me put the map again, we saw why Ephesus. Remember John, the apostle, the revelator, was given the revelation, was privileged to be lifted up and to see not only the glorified Jesus, the magnified. And remember, John is the man who, who put his head on Jesus' shoulder. But he hardly recognized him in his glory, in his magnificence, in his splendor. And so he was given the revelation of the glorified Jesus, is given the, the revelation of what's going to happen in the future. And I explained to you that Ephesus is the first stop if you are sailing from Potamos, the island of Potamos, and going to go to the mainland of Asia Minor. The first stop is the church, is Ephesus, the city of Ephesus. But there is other reason why, it's not just because it's the first stop. Ephesus was a very important city. That's why I got the first letter. Ephesus was the capital city of that region at the time. But more importantly, Ephesus was a free city. In fact, it was one of the very few cities in that all of these cities in Asia Minor was under the Roman uh, occupation that did not have Roman soldiers in it. It was a free city. All the others had Roman soldiers in them controlling the cities, but not Ephesus. Not only that, but it was the center of pagan worship. It was the center of the, the god uh, Artemis, or Diana's worship, and which made it, of course, to be a very prosperous city, very powerful city, very influential city. It, 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 was, a, it, it was a destination of all the pilgrims who were worshiping the god Artemis, and it was a tourist destination. It had the most iconic temple for the gods, uh, uh, Artemis or Diana, which considered to be one of the seven wonders of the world at that time. And that is why the apostle Paul himself, while he literally in Thessalonica, he spent three weeks, he spent three years in Ephesus. It probably the longest he's ever spent, other than in confinement in Rome, the longest he ever spent in one city. He was in Ephesus for three years. Why? Because of its strategic importance. And also because it was probably, and I say probably, the hardest place for the gospel seed to be planted. Oh, but when they got it, they really got it. <laughs> I mean, they got it. And we know from the book of Acts that Paul appointed Timothy, his disciple, to be the pastor of the church in Ephesus. In fact, you see that from the letters that he wrote to him, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. But history tells us that after Timothy departed to go elsewhere, it was John, the, the apostle, who became the pastor of the church of Ephesus. I had the privilege of being in Ephesus and seeing what reputedly be the home of John where Mary lived with him until she died. But, you know, I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine this. And now you're not pastors, but imagine the very first letter that Jesus gives John to deliver is to his beloved congregation. 
I want to draw your attention in a moment to the screen because many years ago, several years ago, when Jonathan was, Jonathan Youssef was the head of international division at Leading the Way, he had a passion for traveling and, and, and ministering to persecuted people in Turkey, in Albania, in India, all over India and Indonesia and many remote islands of Indonesia. But one of the great things that happened at that time is that the camera crew said, well, let's read, have Jonathan read uh, the letter to the churches while they were there in Asia Minor, in, in modern Turkey. And so for the next seven today and the next six letters, we're going to hear Jonathan reading the letter to these churches in location. You'll see Ephesus as he reads. So let's draw attention to the screen. For so many people through the years who have preserved your word. So today, 2,000 years later, we can learn of your heart. To know what is near and dear to you. And so that we would seek to please you. With all, of, with all of our might and strength. May this be a transformative message that you have sent those many years ago be to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I love the description of our risen, ascended, glorified Lord Jesus. He holds the seven stars in His hands. Now, I could be referring to those seven churches, but remember, I told you the seven, the reason were just seven. There were probably many other churches at the time, but the seven is a number of completion in the Bible. It's a perfect number. A number of perfection is, is the totality. That's, if you're seven, then that's done. That's, that, that, is, that is the perfect number. And that tells us that our Lord Jesus Christ is supreme, sovereign over all of His creation. 
It tells us that our Lord is a su supremely in control of the lives of His children. That tells us that our Lord is in total control of the lives of those who are His. Our Lord holds the security of the believers, of all those who love Him in His very hands. What comfort, what joy, what peace. Now, there are some scholars, historic, historical scholars, who have thought there's a possibility of that this being a reference to a coin. A coin was minted by the emperor. Remember I talked to you last message about Emperor Domitian? That Domitian minted a specific coin in the memory of his dead son. He had a son who was supposed to succeed him, but he died. Remember, I told you he's responsible for a systematic second wave because Nero's persecution was not as systematic. It was just mostly in Rome. But when Domitian came into power, he systematized persecution of Christians throughout the Roman Empire. And so, when his son died, uh, he at that moment was insisting that the Christians bow and worship Lord Caesar, not the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he coined this, this coin. He minted this coin and called it the divine Caesar, son. <laughs> And, and, and he minted it not only in his memory, but the inscription of the coin read, the divine Caesar, son of Emperor Domitian. And the coin actually had seven stars encircled it, and the sun sort of sitting on the globe. Oh, but listen to me. This is the irony of all irony. This is true. I don't know some historians say that it is, but here's the irony that our glorified Jesus is the only true divine Son of the living God who is in control of the universe. But also, He walks in the middle of the seven golden lampstand. Beloved, I tell you that our glorified Jesus actually moving among the believers. He's moving among the believers. He's moving right here. And that's why he promised and said, when two or three of you gather together in my name, there I'm going to be in your midst. So let's look at this letter very quickly here. The, the wonderful things about our precious Lord is that he does not, he does not, he does not overlook or ignore or take for granted the smallest. In fact, I remember, you remember in the Gospels he talked about even a cup of cold water is not lost on our Lord. He does not ignore, overlook, or take for granted the virtue. And he starts with that. He commends them for the good things that they were doing. Our risen Lord often commends before He condemns. And I love the fact that in every letter He says, I know, I know, I know, I know. Of course He knows, and He knows with accuracy, perfect accuracy, our condition, our plans, our thoughts, 
And yes, above all things, he knows our motives. Let's divide this letter very quickly. Three sections here for those of you taking notes. I want to give you three things that you will notice about this letter to the church in Ephesus. First of all, there are three praiseworthy merits. Three praiseworthy merits. Secondly, there is a heartfelt disappointment. Disappointment on the part of Jesus. Thirdly, there is a three-step recovery program. It's a three-step. Not 10, 11, 9, or whatever. Three-step. First of all, the glorified Jesus points to those three things in that church of Ephesus that they were doing. They were alert. They were biblically sound. They were discerning. This is something is really missing from most churches in the 21st century. They were discerning, but they were active. They had a good program for every age group. <laughs> they were busy believers. They tested the false teachers and rejected their false teaching. In other words, they were good Presbyterians. <laughs> they were doing everything in decent and order. But I'm not going to leave anybody out. They were also good Baptists. They had a program for every ministry. They were good Reformed. They fought the liberals. <laughs> but not only that. They did not moan or complain all the time like other churches were. <laughs> they, they did all of their good works with a sense of endurance, with a sense of perseverance. Ah, uh, they faced tribulations, they faced insult, they faced discrimination, they faced persecution, and they faced it with courage. They did not give in to the immorality that was invading the Roman world at the time. They did not give in to the immorality that is invading our churches, even at this time. They held to biblical ground um, of fending off the barbarians and the heretics. They were not only biblically sound, they were not only per persevering, but they would not tolerate evil. They refused to allow sin to fester like cancer in the body of Christ. They smelt the heresy a mile away. They would not put up with the Nickelodeons, not the television station that you watch. <laughs> Actually, I'm going to tell you a whole lot more about them when we get to the church of Pergamum. But time being, I'm going to skip it. I'm going to come back to it tell you about that group. Not really, nobody really knows exactly everything about them, but there are some certain characteristics about these folks who are going into churches and causing trouble. But he, here, we look with it again to, to the verse, please, the, the chapter, the, the letter to Ephesians. Uh, this church, first church of Ephesus, <laughs> they were serving well they're working hard. They were doing everything with zeal. You say, what else he got left? Except. Except. The most important thing. And that's a disappointment, secondly. In their eagerness to serve, 
<laughs> they have allowed the most important thing to get away from them. What is it? The love for Jesus. The love for Jesus. Let me put it in a practical day, day, day life, the everyday life because the truth is no illustration. You've heard me say this. I'll keep saying no human illustration ever perfect or even close. It would be like a husband who sends his wife flowers all the time and expensive gifts, but he's hardly home. It would be like a wife who keeps immaculate home and cooks food, and, and the, house is, it, it, the household the details are all taken care of, never sits down to revel and delight herself in his company. We often do the right things and let the most important thing go by the wayside. Now, most of you, if not I know not all of you know my testimony. It, it's in books. I've written it out and talked about it, especially when I speak to pastors. There was a time in my ministry where I have placed the ministry, I have placed ministering above my love for Jesus. And Jesus, in His gracious way, woke me up in time, for which I'll always be grateful. And from that time on, I'm continuously... And constantly, I'm not only grateful that God woke me up in time, but now I'm on my guard. I know when that happens. I know when other things crowd my love for Jesus, and I stop. Listen, beloved, as much as I love preaching, as much as I love writing, as much as I love ministering and doing, the moment I recognize anything, I'm talking about anything, that competes with my love for Him, I stop. If this letter from Jesus is saying anything to His faithful children, He is saying that if you are doing and serving and ministering is not stemming out of love for Jesus, if you're doing, you're serving, and you're ministering is undermining your love for Jesus. If you're doing and serving and ministering replaces intimacy with Jesus, please, please stop. Many years ago, and I'm talking about many, many years ago, I was involved in trying to help a couple, and she just said, all of a sudden, she said, well, the problem is he, he just doesn't tell me he loves me anymore. Upon which he immediately piped up and said, I told her I loved her 25 years ago, and I haven't changed my mind. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't do that. Here is the amazing thing about our Jesus. And I must confess to you, when I was writing my notes on Tuesday... If tears were flowing, I couldn't read my notes. <laughs> while we know most certainly, while we know most assuredly that the Lord loves us, 
and he loves us like no one could ever love you. While we know that he went to the cross for us, and yet he tells us he loves us in a thousand different ways every day if we have spiritual eyes to see it. The truth is, Jesus wants his own to love him back. We see, we see God's broken heart in the Old Testament. I mean, you cannot read the Old Testament without just literally saying, God, I mean, you, you, have, you have to love him more than you ever loved him as you read his broken heart over Israel, the apple of his eyes running after other gods, and even he does it in a practical way in Hosea the prophet when his wife was running after other men, and, 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 and you see the brokenness of that man's heart, and then Hosea, that's me. I'm brokenhearted. Read Ezekiel, read Jeremiah, and the New Testament Read the church, the bride of Christ, and how Christ feel about his church. When his church, his bride, has replaced the love for him with love for other things. When his bride is so busy for him, supposedly, but no longer emotionally and spiritually connecting with him. When his bride Get used to going through the motions. Go through the routine. Even in his name. But it's no longer deeply in love with him. When his believers are more in love with themselves, with their ideas, with their plans, and even with their biblical interpretation, than being totally enamored in the love with the love with Jesus. Please hear me right, this is important. Believers can do all the right things for him. Believers can believe all the right things about him. Believers can work hard in his name. But what God craves, what Jesus craves the most, it's for our love, our love above everything else that we can do for him. Uh, as some of you remember in my testimony when I basically was on my back and, and the Lord says, you know, I can do this without you. You're running around serving without me. I can do all this without you. I sobbed. I said, Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Just because he's so gracious, he's long-suffering, he's merciful, and he's forgiving, do not take him for granted. Do not wait till Sunday to sing, I love you, Lord. Love for Jesus is spelled T-I-M-E. Did you get that? Our Lord is heartbroken. When we love his blessings, more we love him the blesser. You cannot go through the Bible every year like I do, and many of you have 
doing this. We started years ago going through this. We go through the Bible every year, and, 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 and I, I thank God for you doing this. But you cannot read the Bible, go through it every year without feeling the depth of God's pain over Israel's unloving heart toward him. And in the same way, in the New Testament, our God is saying to the Ephesians, our Lord Jesus is saying to the Ephesians, I love all that you do for me. But you're leaving out the most important thing. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said to another church that love for Jesus cooled off and got replaced by other things, the Corinthian church. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 2 and 3, here's what he said, I promised you to one husband to Christ so that I might present you as pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid that as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds will be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Christ the person. Did you know that people can serve in the church without loving Jesus? Yeah. Did you know that people can believe all the right things about the Christian faith? They believe all the correct biblical doctrine. But the love for Jesus is as cold as an icebox. The way you know that is when serving or believing becomes a sense of duty. Oh, I've got to do this. It's my duty. It's my responsibility. I have to do this. Instead of joy unspeakable. Instead of that, you can't even wait to wake up in the morning because of your love for Jesus. Why? Because you love him so much, you want to do whatever he wants you to do. The great news about those who have forsaken their first love is this. The divine lover wants you back. The divine lover is wooing you back. The divine lover longs for you to come back. Which brings me to the third thing that Jesus says to the church here. And he gives them the three Step recovery program. Listen to me. I'm a grateful dude for that three-step program. I've used it many times. Listen, listen, listen. This is, this is the most marvelous, the most wonderful three-step program. <laughs> I, I am blessed by this three-step program. Used it many times, and I testify to you. <laughs> It is the greatest recovery program in the universe. Nothing like it. Three R's. Recall, reverse, recapture. Recall, reverse, recapture. Can you say that with me with enthusiasm? God bless you. Recall the time when you were so overwhelmed with your love for Jesus. Recall the time when you were so overwhelmed by his forgiveness of your sins 
recall the time when you were so overwhelmed with knowing the gift of eternal life. And when you were so overwhelmed, you loved him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. I mean, you could not thank him enough. You could not praise him enough. You could not adore him enough. You could not obey him enough. You could not get enough of his word into you by spending time with him. Then recall... What caused the flame to die down? What caused that flame to die down? You know, sometimes the good things that cause the flame to die down, not always bad things, but sometimes the sin. What sin entered in? What person has come and replaced that love for Jesus? What blessing that distracted you and from loving Jesus what suffering and disappointment in life that caused you to cool your love toward Jesus? What illness that caused you to become so cold toward Jesus? What virus has caused you to live in fear instead of faith? What trials has distracted and taken your attention of loving Jesus? What or who stole your devotion? Only you can answer that. Only you can answer that. My beloved friends, I've tested this many times. The Scripture tells us that the place of failure is the place of recovery. If I lost my wallet over there, it's no use looking for it over here. The place of failure is the place of recovery. And that is why he said, repent, reverse course. Turn around, go back. Don't just feel remorse. Remorse won't help you one bit. Staying in remorse won't help you. In fact, it's the worst thing you can do to yourself. Turn around, get up. Recapture the time when you used to love Jesus so much that you loved being in the presence of Jesus. Recapture the time when you used to love to worship and adore Him alone. Recapture the time when your love for Jesus occupied your thoughts and your desire, and your longing. Am I preaching the truth? Yes. Why is this so important? Because what Jesus said next, and look, if I fall apart, I, I, I'm going to ask you forgiveness ahead of time. There are two things. If you're visiting, you don't know about me. I will break down publicly about two things. Always know that when I talk about the grace of God, because I'm the recipient of it in abundance, and when I think of sinners spending eternity in hell. Those are the two times that I'm broken on the inside. Why is it vitally important to recapture 
It's because Jesus said, if you persist, if you persist, he's going to remove your lampstand. What is that? The light of Christ is going to be extinguished in your life and the life of the church, the life of the church. Beloved, let me tell you something. You know I'm straightforward with you. I cannot think of anything worse for me, personally. I'm, I'm telling you. <laughs> i tell you the truth. I would rather die before Christ removes his lampstand. Listen to me. To me, the most terrifying thing is that he removes the lampstand. It is so terrifying, I don't want even to contemplate it. Neither should you. Neither should you. Adam and Eve grabbed from the tree of life. They believed Satan's lie. But when your love for Jesus is rekindled and stay alive, he's going to serve you from the tree of life. <laughs> he's going to, he personally going to serve you from the tree of life. I, I want to tell you this as I conclude. I began in the message with talking about how I'm absolutely enamored by People who have been married for years and years and years, and there's so much fidelity and love for their spouses and love for each other. All human examples are never perfect. They're really not. They're pale approximation. But I use them to illustrate something much bigger, illustrate the amazing love of Jesus and our love back to Him. So I want to conclude by this true story. In the 19th century, there was a very famous lecturer, some of you probably read about him, by the name of Wendell Phillips. Phillips was so deeply devoted and adoring to his invalid wife, Anne. At the close of his lecture one night in a town many miles away from his home in Boston, he wanted to go home that night, and Philip's friends and even those who were traveling with him said, please, don't attempt to go home tonight. Please spend the night, go in the morning. They said to him, the last train has left, and you will have to hire some special transportation to the city. And furthermore, it is cold and sleeting outside. You will face several miles of rough riding before you get home. His reply was very simple, very simple. Ah, yes. But on the other end of these miles, those miles, I shall find my beloved Anne. Now, my beloved friends, listen to me. Loving Jesus will not, make, will not only make life's journey easy, 
and joyful, but also it will make your long journey by looking forward to seeing him face to face. A thing of excitement and joyful. Listen, I know and you know there are many problems on the journey. There are many difficulties in the journey. There are many challenges in the journey. There are many painful experiences in the journey. There are many heartaches in the journey. There are many trials in the journey. There are many hard bumps on the journey. Ah, oh, but remember that at the end of the journey, you're going to see your beloved Jesus. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, it's so impossible to add to your own words, except I, for one, and on behalf of all those who are in agreement with me today, we come to you in repentance. Forgive us for allowing things and others to steal our devotion, to steal our love, to steal our desire to be in your presence, to adore you and worship you, to express our love for you back. Forgive us. And Holy Spirit, you're the only one who can truly renew us. Renew us. Renew us today. Well, Father, we know this is the real, there's no secret, but if it is a secret, this is the secret to true Holy Spirit awakening. We repent and we turn to you. We recall and forsake and reverse. And we thank you for your loving heart, for your open arms that always says, come unto me, come unto me, and I'll forgive you. It, with confidence in your promise, we say thank you in advance for what you're going to do. For we pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, praise the Lord.